right, welcome back to another episode of Just Buy Less Coffee, answering the deeper questions of American politics. My name is Troy, a.k.a. Keep Troy Blue. With me, as always, is Kathy Cannon, a.k.a. Cannon's Fodder. Irene Pacman, a.k.a. Pollution, just at Pollution now. She's rebranded yet again. And we are together, you guys. This is so Yay! cool. We got a chance to, to come together to record. Uh, it's so cool. It's so cool to see you guys. Um, we had a very interesting Supreme Court ruling just happen. Uh, and it's a little bit under the radar, frankly, except on social media, uh, talking about the right of Customs and Border Patrol to intervene in law enforcement um, situations uh, in the in a certain proximity to the border, and I think it's 100 miles from the border. <laughs> but the implications of this, it's a, it was a 6-3 uh, Supreme Court ruling, so, I mean, you, you can, can guess, guess which six and which three. You can guess which six yeah. and which three. I feel like that's going to kind of be a, a theme for us moving <laughs> forward. A 6-3 Supreme Court ruling, essentially, and I'm, I'm going to say this as, as the layperson here, and I'll kick it over to Irene, who's actually done the research on this, but a 6-3 Supreme Court ruling essentially stating that in cases, extreme cases of, in terms of national security, law enforcement, specifically Border Patrol, Customs and Border Patrol, can intervene um, without due process, without Fourth Amendment protections, um, and can enter, can search, whatever, whatever they need to do. Uh, I, Irene, I know you did the the research on the actual case of this, but let's get into that. Give us the, give us the story. It's a really interesting story. Give us the story, the background, and then I think we'll go to Kathy and we'll talk a little bit about what this means really for the Fourth Amendment, uh, what this means for due process laws, and if we're getting back into, you know, getting back into the dark ages of the Patriot Act there. It looks like it, though. Yeah. So this case is Egbert versus Bull, and this ruling came out on June 8th. Um, the case is very interesting. So Bull owns a bed and breakfast on the border of Canada and Washington. He's owned it since, I believe, around 2000, and he has been known, and this is very open to the government, <laughs> um, to help people across the border into Canada illegally. Consistently. This hotel is literally called Smuggle Inn or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's called the Smuggler's <laughs> Inn. Um, and his license plate also says Smuggler. So it's wow. kind of a funny He's story like for that. He's begging to get caught, mm -hmm. it sounds like. The interesting thing, though, is that he kind of built this business out of his proximity to the border in which he would shuttle people into Canada. And so you get to the United States... You pay for a shuttle service across, but you have to spend the night on his property. Okay. And then he would inform the feds, and they'd stake out the business waiting for you to cross and then arrest you. Wow. Um, so this was something they were very aware of. He ended up making about $60,000 from the U.S. government. He worked for both CBP and ICE over the years. But what this case is really about is what happened in 2014. So in 2014, Bull, um, the owner... He let one of the informants know that he was um, going to be bringing someone in who's a Turkish nationalist. And he let this agent know who is Edgebert. And Edgebert was hanging out by the inn waiting for this to happen. He saw one of the vehicles return and he trespassed. Okay. And that's the important part. It's not the fact that the Turkish nationalist was there. In fact, all of his paperwork ended up clearing out. But he trespassed over the, um, over the boundaries of his property, refused to leave, and then became violent, threw bull up in the air across the vehicle. He landed on his hip and his back. It's like WWE um, style. And then they checked the paperwork for the immigrant guests and everything was fine. He did end up unlawfully entering Canada later that night, but that's an okay. issue immigration-wise on the Canadian yeah. side, not on the American side. Right. So then both filed a couple of grievances. Um, he first filed one with Egbert's supervisor, which was under the Federal Tort Claims Act, and that was he was looking for legal compensation for his injury because he was, right. in fact, injured. Because <laughs> he was body slammed. <laughs> um, and then from there, both sued 
um, alleging a Fourth Amendment violation for excessive use of force, force as well as a First Amendment violation for unlawful retaliation. Okay. Um, in the original courts, it didn't go very well. Um, he attempted to unsuccessfully invoke Bivens versus six unknown Fed narcotics. Okay. Um, and that is from 1965, which recognizes the damages actions um, for alleged constitutional violations until it reached the Supreme Court. So what Bivens versus six unknown Fed narcotics agents basically said is that they looked at whether or not Fourth Amendment protection came when there was unreasonable search and seizure, um, and it gave rise to federal claims for damages. So could you okay. sue if there was a Fourth Amendment breakage, or was it just Fourth Amendment itself? Mm-hmm. Could you actually get money or profit for it? And then from there, does the government have a privilege, especially to its federal agents, when they violate the uh, constitutional rights and they can act on their own authority? Okay. Um, so they ruled that Bivens did have a cause of action for damages arising from his Fourth Amendment violation specifically. But when this got up to the Supreme Court and they were looking at it, there was a lot of things here that were at issue. Um, the first one was that they knew he was already doing things he shouldn't have been doing yeah. and that he was consistently known to be smuggling people in and out of the United States. The other issue is that the person specifically that he was smuggling at that time did enter lawfully. So they went through security at our airport system properly. Mm-hmm. They had all the paperwork that they needed to go through it. The issue came down to that trespassing instead of everything else that this man was doing. And what they basically decided that this was actually did invoke Bivens, even okay. though they have failed to invoke Bivens many times and invoke Bivens because there was potential for a national security threat by aiding and abetting illegal transport in and out of the United States over and over again. And okay. so that was the right. final ruling. Right. Um, this leads to a lot of problems. And mm-hmm. one of the justices on their opinion part of this ruling specifically said that this is going to open a lot of consequences, as mm-hmm. we know, um, specifically because it opens up what your borders can do and basically creates a landmark for the Patriot Act. So when, when you're within yeah. a, current, a certain border, a distance from the border, then you can use the Patriot Act. And you can just go in wherever you want to. We assume with reason, but... Now, there's no consequences for those Border Patrol um, agents. If they do come in and find nothing, they cannot be charged for it because they're right. doing their best to protect the people in that area. And that was Sotomayor. That, that yeah. yeah, it was Sotomayor. Yeah, see, I live in Tucson, and, um, you know, I'm within 100 miles of the border. So, like, in, you know, in theory, what she's saying is that, you know, I could come home from this trip and find Border Patrol agents in my house. Mm-hmm. They could, um, you know, have some reason to be searching there. But, yeah, uh-huh. it's just a it's just a really it opens sort of scary. Up almost the entire state of Florida yeah. to be a free fall for all like border agents. And that should concern all of Miami, <laughs> just all of them. But oh. so, Kathy, what are is you it, seeing with this? What yeah. is what are the ramifications of this getting overturned? Um, a lot. OK, so first of all, it's. I wrote this down while you were talking. His business was probably born out of Title IV of the Patriot Act because um, that kind of gave, it was because that was specific to the Canadian border and it gave law enforcement like increased like enforcement to like search and do all of that stuff. So he basically used that to create a business to smuggle people in in violation of the Patriot Act. So you have to almost appreciate the irony of it Mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, But where my brain went immediately um, is one, this is just basically taking us back to the hell of the Patriot Act, but Mm -hmm. The exclusionary rule is going to become really important here, right? Because you can search people, you can get all their evidence, but the the Fourth Amendment really has always played a bigger role in litigation than it has in police behavior. Because there's a million loopholes that police can use, like, oh, I had a reasonable suspicion for everything. And that's how they got around all of the claims on stop and frisk, right? Right. Especially when they would stop people, reasonable suspicion was your brown. Um, And that worked for all of Rudy Giuliani's term in New York City, but that's fine. Another conversation. Well, it's also the Breonna Taylor stuff, right? Yeah, it's all of that. They just had... Yeah, so they had enough suspicion they could do it. So that has always helped police do what police do. But where it's always been helpful to the person 
who's been searched unlawfully is mm -hmm. that their lawyers can go in and cite the exclusionary rule, right? But they can argue in court that the police didn't really have reasonable whatever. And then the evidence that is uh, found isn't admissible in court. So then you have cases where in, um, what is it, inappropriate police behavior, seizing evidence unlawfully gets that evidence thrown out and mm -hmm. like legit criminals are set free because of it. Mm -hmm. um, so this could send that in one of two ways, right? It could either give so much immunity to police that the exclusionary rule disappears uh -huh. and all sorts of unlawful evidence is now used against people or unlawfully obtained evidence, I'm sorry. Or it could go the other way where everything that police sees in these searches is thrown out and any legitimate uh -huh. chance right. of stopping the problem they're trying to solve disappears. And which way that goes depends on how fascist the court is. And <laughs> we can all see the 6-3 rulings that keep coming our way to know how that goes. So um, yeah. it's terrifying. Right. And you remember like when the Patriot Act first was passed, yeah. like how horrifying that was. And like... Right, because it's just kind of... It's a... It's a um, it's a blanket sort of, well, if you have to, you can go beyond due process. You can mm -hmm. go beyond Yeah, the exactly. Rules. And this is going to impact like... Um, more marginalized communities and mm -hmm. the one of the biggest problems with the criminal justice system is that it's designed to help rich people mm -hmm. and if you're not wealthy enough to even post bonds then remember like the unlawful detainments that from Guantanamo Bay right. so how many people are going to be unreasonably searched and seized unlawfully detained and arrested held with you know bonds they can't afford and just indefinitely imprisoned mm -hmm. for what for doing nothing, for walking into your house and landing a border patrol agent in your yeah. house. Like, it's scary. It's It should scare everybody. The harder part about this, too, is that it gives the CBP agents the authority to make those warrantless arrests. And they have yeah. the authority to search vehicles up to 100 miles away. And so since they're doing out of authority, technically, it's now lawful for them, depending yeah. on what their position is. Um, also, CBP agents are not just at the borders. There's 20,000 of them nationwide. The but they're only specifically supposed to detain it to the 100 miles. Where do you draw those 100 mile like boundaries? Is it mm -hmm. how the bird flies? Is it highway? Where, where are we going to draw these lines That's from there? And then point. how yes. are we going to enforce it? Because it is a national security context. So when are we going to see people as threats? And is there going to be now, because of the Bivens Clause being opened up in all of this, do we need to relook at that? Are there going to be any rulings for if there's injuries resulting from yeah. this? If we have more of those, um, no issue arrests. But if it's at the discretion of the Border Patrol agents, remember, like, at the very, like, initiation of the Patriot Act, all the police had to do was say, you're suspected on terrorism and we can yeah. hold you indefinitely. Mm -hmm. So if it's at their discretion to search whoever they want mm -hmm. and they can hold indefinitely... There's, I mean, you can see where it's going. There's I can see still where it's people going. being held in Guantanamo in Bay right now, right? Without trial, that were just arrested on on suspicion, mm -hmm. on suspicion of terrorism. But that was the question that I had: was the you know specifically the locations of it? Mm -hmm. It's the 100 miles, and is it you know it's just Mexico and Canada, or is it the the coastlines? Because if you're talking about the entire border of the United States. Um, you know, 100 miles from the border, you're getting into 67% of the population lives within this, mm -hmm. this no, you know, this no Fourth Amendment zone. Are you talking about like, you know, ports of entry? Are you talking about airports? Like, can mm -hmm. you extend it to airports in the in the center? There's the another crazy one literally just popped in my head. Because remember the whole Oklahoma thing with the guy who they're trying to like, um, completely outlaw abortion in Oklahoma, right? Yeah. And the Native American reservations were offering, like, will offer abortion services, and the Oklahoma governor said, like, that he'll go in to the reservations mm -hmm. and enforce it. So are they going to put that as a border into mm -hmm. the country and 100 miles out from every Native American right, reservation? Exactly. And that's... Well, that's all of Arizona. Sorry. Another, <laughs> um, another interesting implication of all yeah. this, too, is that 
he was trying to try both the First and the Fourth Amendment, and that was another ruling that they did, that if you are trying to try more than one amendment as a constitutional right that was broken by you, then that's not something that we're equipped to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. it's their job is to enforce laws, it's not to create new ones. And if you're saying that two laws are being broken at the same time, then we need a new law. And that is a legislation issue, not an enforcement issue. And so they dismissed that and said that he should not have been able to try both First and Fourth Amendment at the same time because that was a violation of the due process. Maybe there's yeah, something like, <laughs> and that actually kind of makes sense. And that's the more traditional element of conservative ideology on the court, which, in theory, is is fine, right? Because mm-hmm. their whole big you know tantrum of the 1990s was judicial activism yeah. and legislating from the bench. And the reason that they've pushed control of the courts the way they did is because they wanted to remove that. Now, two things have happened is, one, they're doing the same thing, but in this case, they're not. And they're pointing to the fact that, truthfully, they're right. This is a legislative issue. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, our legislative branch is so dysfunctional that what they're effectively doing is getting rid of the only protections that yeah. do exist, mm-hmm. knowing that the legislature won't be able able to fix it. And that puts us in a position to yeah. need a strong legislative body at a time where our politics is, yeah. well, in you know, legislative you know so we've all seen that. Kneecapped. So. Um, I wonder, uh, first of all, Kathy, can you give us a background on the exam? exclusionary rule? It exclusionary is basically, because um, I know it's kind of interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, probably the most famous case um, regarding the exclusionary rule is Terry versus Ohio, which I lovingly refer to with my kids as the drugs and porn case. Um, <laughs> this is the day that all of your kids pay <laughs> This is when they decide that they like me. Um, that and the Hustler Fallwell day, because that's a great case. I love the Hustler Fallwell case. But uh, Terry v. Ohio, basically, it was uh, it had to do with uh, obscenity laws in Ohio, and this woman whose neighbors they basically didn't like her, so they kind of put a sting out on her and reported her to the police. So they went into her house, searched it, um, just based on a tip from a neighbor. That was the reasonable suspicion. Right. They went right. into her house, found tons of porn, tons of drug paraphernalia, right? So they were right. She was doing everything they said she was doing, but when it went to court, they basically said, look, that wasn't a reasonable enough suspicion. That would have been right. reason for you to go and obtain a search warrant, perhaps, not to just bust in there and take all her stuff. Um, so all of the evidence, like the ruling in that case was basically that any evidence seized unlawfully without like correct due process or without a warrant or anything mm-hmm. cannot be used in trial. So I always use this example when I'm teaching it, and I'm like, for example, and I always like take a volunteer, I'm like, so if I were to murder Irene, right, and I were to put her in the trunk of my car, Why and like, me? because you tell me I'm old all the time. <laughs> So I murder Irene, she's in the trunk of my car, I put a murder, yeah, it's it's retribution for the geese. (laughs) So she's in the trunk of my car, right, murder weapon on top of it, signed confession with the body, and all of this. But if they stop me for a traffic ticket, and they have no reason to search my car, but they do, and they find Irene's body, the murder weapon, and a signed confession, none of that is admissible in court because Mm -hmm. that evidence was obtained illegally. And nothing related to that evidence can come and be used against me. So because they seized that evidence unlawfully, I got away with murdering Irene. Yay me. And... (laughs) It's not always Irene. It's always usually like the kid, in, like whoever my favorite kid in class is, is who I murder. Right. It's it's the way I the do. Kid, it. you don't actually want to murder. Yeah. Yeah, because if it was one I actually wanted to murder, I'd get like called to the principal's right. office. There'd be a whole conversation. And now your kids know you play favorites in class. They knew that anyway. They knew that. Anyway. Wait, did she get her drugs and porn back? No, because civil forfeiture. <laughs> you don't get your shit back. That's a whole other conversation. That's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, so that's what I'm afraid of here is just some over like yeah. anxious or like over eager uh, border patrol agents just going to start stopping every car they see, mm. and they're going to find something serious that 
maybe we would have wanted to do something about, but now they might not be able right. to, right? And mm -hmm. that was also the Miranda, Arizona case, because that was a guy who didn't speak English, didn't understand what was being told to him, was kind of bullied into confessing. He like kidnapped and raped, I think, four people and ended up going home at the end of it because they got him to confess to something against his Fifth Amendment rights. And yeah. that's what I see happening here, right? He just, you think, he said, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's yeah. The, the biggest problem I have with conservative justices is this. They never play three moves ahead. They're mm -hmm. like, on the surface, this is what we're doing, look mm -hmm. at us go. I'm like, but look what you, you just gave yourself the rope to hang yourself, though. You know, you just undid everything you thought you did mm -hmm. with what you did. And it makes me, it makes me nuts, but... Can we start the first in a series for this season where we kind of go through the amendments to the Constitution. You want me to teach Unit 4? Yes, okay. I would love for you to teach yes. Unit can 4. Can I make the cases all into stories? Yes, <laughs> if you can do that. that Irene's going to do the really homework impressive. my kids never do. I love this. But can we, can we start Can we start with just a little, in the yeah, time man, we have left, I'm we can do with a little like Fourth Amendment rundown. Yeah, and, uh, give I can have a uh, court cases I, for each one. Because I think the, you know, I think people generally have an idea what the First Amendment says. They know everyone they know everyone knows what the Second Amendment says just because people won't shut the fuck up about it. They don't um, even know what they say. They say, <laughs> I have a right to bear arms. I'm like, you're missing the whole part. Like, there's two parts of that sentence. A well-regulated militia being necessary for a free state, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Yeah. They know that shall not be infringed part. That well-regulated so, part was the important bit. So we'll skip third for now, even though I know you and I both have a really like soft spot in our I hearts for the third, the third amendment. amendment. <laughs> um, but give us like a brief, give us a rundown on what, what the fourth amendment says. The and, fourth and... amendment. I had it pulled up here. One second. Um, bum, ba, da, bum. I have it pulled up. Oh, go ahead. You want to read it? Then? The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. You see, did that as a wrap. That was a good <laughs> go. And see, another interesting thing that it's one of those things that my brain does because it looks in 83 different directions. They're about to overturn Roe. We know mm -hmm. this, right? But Roe was kind of ruled poorly. Yes. That's kind of like the biggest criticism about yes. it. Um, it but you could re-argue it with 14th Amendment mm -hmm. and Fourth Amendment rights. But if you completely dismantle the Fourth Amendment mm -hmm. and people are no longer free in their persons, then you can't argue that the government can't, you know, force me to take pregnancy tests. Because then right. they have the, the right to look into the mm -hmm. person. Because and they can use the Fourth Amendment right now to investigate post Roe v. Wade mm -hmm. and say, like, okay, well, we can look for the specific... Like, you suspicion. a big-ass hoe. We need a pregnancy test. Step. Like, yeah, we have, we have probable cause to look and see if you had an, any of these paraphernalia or any of the mm -hmm. reasons for us to suspect that you've done this action. And we have probable cause to suspect you had a miscarriage. Yeah, I mean. yeah <laughs> and that's, like, kind of what this is opening the door for, right? So they're... On the surface, they're making it look like they're cracking down for national security purposes, but really what they're doing is opening the door to oppress everybody for anything. Mm -hmm. And One of the things that Sotomayor did say is that they all recognized that there were issues with Bivens and the ruling yeah. of Bivens originally, yeah. and that as they were arguing this and the fact that it was invoked in the first place, they needed to address the fact that there was a lot of issues with Bivens that has now been brought all the way up to them. Um, but she also did say... They're gonna they're gonna suffer the consequences of this, and openly yeah. said it in the opinion. Like the consequence of this, like basically was a drive-by assertion, is what she said. Right. They did not take the time to think about the severe ramifications for this. The whole um, ordering is less than forty-eight pages. That's very small. That is very small. The opinions are very short, and so much of it comes down to here's all the cases that have happened before. Here's all the times we didn't decide to use Bivens as an example for this, and does this clarify Bivens? Does this work against Bivens? It did not really focus on what are the ramifications of the Fourth Amendment specifically being invoked, right. but the way that it was invoked originally mm -hmm. in that case as well. But really what this is, it should be a call to arms because for a very long time, we've kind of relied on the Supreme Court to mm -hmm. 
do what the legislative branch can't, and that's a big problem. It's mm-hmm. easy to criticize both sides of the aisle on that one, but the only way to fix that is to fix the legislative branch. So if this does not become the call to arms for the Democratic Party during the midterms, I might stab somebody in the eye. And Especially since they said that one of the issues here is that originally it was ruled poorly, and if you're mm-hmm. going to have issues where multiple your amendments yeah. are being broken at the same time, which we're all about to be exactly. in with Roe, and you said we can't mm-hmm. do that anymore, that's a legislative issue, then we need new legislation, yeah, and we need it to actually pass. Right. The institutional <laughs> framework here was the judicial branch was meant to, like, judicial review. That's it. Is this law acceptable or not? No, it's not. In which case, you fix the law. But mm-hmm. we always just kind of forget that part. Like, oh, gosh, I guess it doesn't work. Like, that's not going to work much longer, guys. And I need people to start caring, or I'm going to Canada. Well, the... Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> through yeah, the smuggler's I'll, I'll, den. Yeah, we'll, go through, we'll, we'll stay at smuggler's <laughs> in or smuggle in. Um, yeah, but, uh, no, you're absolutely right. The, the Roe decision was, was, uh, was not written while it was vague, and it left the door open for what we're, what we're seeing now. Uh, the road decision. And it was truly, it was fo- focused on when does the state have an interest exactly. and when it doesn't. I'm like, well, it yeah. shouldn't and at it all because this was, amendment right here. Yeah, it was easy to find. But we're also entering into this period that we're going to have to deal with with the 6-3 stuff. We're entering into this sort of regressive Supreme Court that we haven't had for, you know, almost, you know, um, 50, years. 50, 50, 60 years. Yeah, I mean, going back to, I mean, we're, we're yeah. entering this like sort of Roger Tani type Supreme Court. Like the Rehnquist Court was pretty conservative, but not. No, the Rehnquist Court was conservative, but it wasn't, it It wasn't wasn't like regressive. Yeah. Where we had like the history of the Supreme Court in the the 1900s was like regressive and it like knocked people's rights back constantly. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's the the period that we're getting into here. Yeah. Well, it makes sense because we're also living through our own Gilded Age. So it makes sense that we have a Gilded Age court to go with it. Yeah. So. Well, cool. Thank you guys so much for that. This, this is a really interesting case. Um, thank you, Irene, for looking into that. And we'll, we'll keep Yeah, there's going to be more to come on this one without question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. All right, you guys. Thank you. Good, good talk. Good talk. Good talk. <laughs> Cheers. I try not to laugh. <laughs> good talk, good talk. <laughs>